This is Cinema Roundtable. My name is Stefan Decker, and I am here with our usuals, Bo. Hi. And Haley. Hello. And today we are back after a uh, un- unwanted hiatus, but a hiatus all the same. Uh, and today our featured film will be uh, A Star is Born, starring Lady Gaga and uh, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. Yes, Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Gaga. Oh, yes, Gaga. Yes, Queen. But as always, that comes at the end of the program. We're going to talk about some of the other movies that we've seen more recently. Uh, and we're going to kick it off first with First Man. This has been a while since we've done this. This is cool. I like this. Uh, <laughs> this is great. First Man. Uh, how much do you know about First Man? I know that it has Ryan Gosling and it's about uh, Neil Armstrong and presumably Buzz Aldrin is there also. All right. That's my review. Uh, next. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is directed by Damien Chazelle, who we know from Whiplash and La La Land. He wrote and directed those movies. Uh, both of them are fantastic movies, and he's back again with First Man. He did not write First Man, um, but nonetheless uh, adds his creative mind to this very different movie from those first two movies. Um, this movie is is quite sad. It's kind of a downer. So I don't know if you know much about Neil Armstrong, but around the time when he started getting into NASA and the space program, all that, um, he lost his very young daughter, and the movie actually kind of opens with that, and that sort of informs the rest of his journey for the rest of the film. And um, you're you always have that in the back of your mind as you're watching this, and I think that that's very powerful. It's not just an overview of his whole life, because sometimes in biopics where they when they talk about every single second of the person's life, it can almost be it's it can be too much. But having this emphasis on his daughter uh, really helps ground things. Um, this movie not only has Ryan Gosling, but also Claire Foy uh, playing uh, Neil's wife. Uh, and she uh, is great in this as well. There's a lot of drama um, with these NASA wives. And you know the idea of sending astronauts into space, they're in danger a lot. And a lot of these wives of astronauts, they would sometimes wonder, am I going to see my husband again? Are my children going to see their father again after they do this experiment, this test flight? Um, And the movie depicts a lot of that danger. There's lots of astronauts who go on missions, training exercises, who actually suffer through an accident, uh, who perish and who die. And it's very dark. It's very troubling. And instead of being you know, the celebration of space travel, it also shows you the dark side of what that all entailed in the 60s. Um, so I found this to be a great movie. I, I liked it a lot. It was very heavy. So if you're not in the mood to, you know, like be sad for two hours, uh, I would recommend waiting to see it. But there's a payoff at the end. You know, this is kind of a spoiler for real life, but obviously Neil Armstrong made it to the moon. And the moments on the moon uh, make the journey really worth it. It's, uh, I think the payoff there, it, it was just like a, um, you know, just a release. It was it, after so much uh, that, that he fought through, so much suffering that he saw, those moments on the moon are very quiet and serene and, 
you feel like that they're very paramount and it's a, there's it's a big deal but also it's very personal in that moment too so um first man is kind of a longer movie at over two hours but i think it's definitely worth the journey <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> um my wife uh hates watching space movies and she thinks that space travel is is evil because it's just a vast wide empty nothing and so i it, just listening to that it's like well i mean after you lose a daughter like what's left but to right. potentially be lost in space forever why not yeah. <laughs> there are the movie kind of comments on that because it doesn't treat space exploration as like this exciting amazing thing and there's it's only positive things it actually treats this idea as kind of like a haunting subject this kind of grim um, morbid subject where people actually have to die for this thing to happen and honestly do we need to go to the moon we don't but we're racing the russians to get to the moon that's that's the emphasis and so is that worth sacrificing lives and you get to see uh people who protest the space race too that's very interesting in movies like this you only see people celebrating uh you know the journey into space celebrating science we actually get to see protesters people holding up signs people asking and questioning you know like is this worth it is we've dozens of people have died already you know when is this going to happen so uh, we actually see it was a good almost 10 years from the start of from when neil started with nasa to when he finally went to the moon so there's a lot of content there a lot that they had to figure out in those in the 60s for that to happen and they don't show the part where the moon landing is staged <laughs> where stanley kubrick is standing behind the camera i believe a lot of conspiracy theorists believe that stanley kubrick directed the fake moon landing mm, or whatever but, quote, yeah uh yeah that's no no commentary on that yeah I that would agree. be too much i yeah. think okay yeah <laughs> all right uh up next let's talk about three identical strangers this is a movie that hate well both of you saw yes when did you see it did you see it recently i saw it when it was at the ross uh probably two-ish months ago okay so three identical strangers is a documentary i've been watching a lot of documentaries lately i don't know what's with me i just like the truth i guess <laughs> <laughs> I like real life. Um, but basically, um, it's about this guy in 1980 shows up to um, his first day of school in community college and has never been there before. And all these people are like saying, hey, what's up? Hey, how was your summer? Blah, blah, blah. As if they know him. And he's like, I don't know any of these people. And then finally, s someone who came up to him and like gave him a hug and stuff he was like dude i don't know like why are you calling me this other name like why are you acting like you know me like i don't know you my name is you know whatever and so he's like you have he's like were you adopted like, <laughs> and he's like what year were you like what's your birthday blah, blah blah and he's like oh my god i think i'm like best friends with your twin and so basically they call this guy up on a payphone these two guys meet i think they're like 19 years old at the time when they meet and sure enough they look exactly alike and they have the same birthday they were both adopted and so it turns into this huge like media sensation that you know oh two new york 
adopted kids, uh, find out they're twins and long lost brothers, blah, blah, blah. Well, then once that's on the news, um, a third brother is found. So it turns out they were triplets. And so um, this documentary is really interesting because it starts out as like very like happy and like, oh, these three long lost brothers finally find each other and they're going on like all these different talk shows and like super famous now and uh you know everything's just wonderful and then they kind of start to dive into the question of like well why because the parents didn't know they had brothers or that they were triplets at all so they're like well why were they separated why didn't the parents know about this and so it kind of takes like this like sinister turn that like I was not expecting at all and I don't want to give away the ending or anything but it's yeah it's it's super well done I think it does a really good job of like investigating all sides of kind of this whole story because uh something that has annoyed me in the past with other documentaries is that they'll have maybe like one you know kind of different opinion and then that's it whereas with this one it was pretty like they got the full picture pretty well I think um but yeah, this came out this year. It's brand new. It's definitely, it makes you think uh, about just kind of a lot of ethics. I won't say specifically, you know, the ethics of what, because you'll find out in the end. But um, yeah, it's it, it was a good investigative type documentary for sure. I like that uh, when I went into it, I knew it was about these three brothers who were long lost mm -hmm. twins or uh, triplets. And so I thought, cool, that's an awesome story. Like that's enough for a documentary or so I thought. Yeah. And really the first 20 minutes are about that, how they reunited. But then the rest is completely unexpected. Mm -hmm. If you don't know this real story of these brothers, if you haven't already heard about it. Um, so it was really surprising the you know, like hour and a half that followed because like yeah. you said, there's lots of sinister stuff that happens, like a lot of really effed up stuff um, that that caused them to be separated. The the people who helped shape their childhoods, um, it is pretty upsetting by the end. Like it starts off as a very happy story, yeah, and and by the end you just feel kind of gross. Yeah, and just like and like kind of what I said about like opposing opinions they had one woman who was like involved in this who was who didn't see it as a problem mm -hmm. and I'm just like there are people who seriously think that mm -hmm. like even after like they talk a lot about like it being like post-war like you know still recovering from World War II and those types of things and she was still like no that that was what needed to be done it wasn't mm -hmm. an issue yeah, after seeing it Crazy. it made me it made me wonder about the mysteries of this world that yeah. we don't know about. You know, it made me realize incredibly momentous things can happen without most people knowing about them. And I, I think that that is creepy. Yeah. And also they say, so the, the big secret of what this thing is at the end, which I'm not going to say what the secret is, but uh, none of us will be able to really read anything more about it until 2066. And so I just think about like all these different things that have like expiration dates like that. Stefan's eyes are widening. Yeah. He's like, what is this movie? Yeah. Like I have a friend who, um, she, uh, is a scientist. I don't know exactly what she does, 
but she tells me all the time like oh yeah it's exciting because we'll be able to do new studies really soon especially about like prescription drugs and things like this because um they're like time is running out on the mm -hmm. study for when you can like reinvestigate things yeah and i'm like that just blows my mind that you can't just that you can have a restriction yeah. on something for so many decades it's crazy yeah but yeah definitely 10 10 what i have end? no idea what this twist is i know, I know you have to watch what's it. weird is we're kind of talking about it without talking about it yeah. Which I love. You guys, yeah. are, you, you guys are more enticing than the freaking trailer. Like, I've <laughs> seen the trailer. Stefan, I would, I would see this movie. It's very fascinating. Um, it does. It, it, uh, you know, it talks about how much of a sensation the story was, mm -hmm. and it almost gets wrapped up in that too much. And it tries to, ass like, assign reasoning for why certain people grew up the way they did. And I think that that was a little bit of a stretch, but mm -hmm. it was very fascinating like it is it, even the first 20 minutes yeah. when they're telling the story of how they found each other it is like you could not make the, make it up it is stranger than fiction hmm yeah all right well i am interested to uh look into that a little bit further uh up next i'm going to talk about um a movie called the kindergarten teacher uh, and this stars maggie gyllenhaal and i believe it is a netflix movie um that that's where i saw it um i think it is uh i'm pulling it up now and anyways the the point of the movie is that maggie gyllenhaal's uh character is a kindergarten teacher um and she's enrolled in this like night class this night poetry class um and she's doing fine she's you know she's not wowing anybody uh in the class or the teacher but she just wants to prove herself um, because she really cares about the integrity of art uh, and thinks that art is the most, you know, one of the most important things in the world. Um, but she's just not uh, wowing anybody with her own work. And um, she's she's sitting there in her kindergarten class and one of her students, out of nowhere, uh, recites a poem. Just pacing back and forth, recites this really profound but simple poem um, and she's just blown away and so she starts to look into it more and tries to recreate circumstances for this kid to create more poems uh, and she starts bringing this kid's poems to her night class and and reads them as her own work um, and mm -hmm. so she she's getting heavily involved in this child's life so that she can kind of um, foster but also reap the benefits of of having someone so artistic in her life. And so she's trying to foster this environment um, for this child to create incredible poetry. And she does that through some really uh, incredible means. Like she goes really far uh, to make sure that all of this can happen, uh, including like taking her out of, taking the child out of school for a day and going on an adventure and, um, just things that a teacher should not be doing with a student. Mm. Um, and, and there's a lot of like cinematography choices that really kind of help you to feel kind of, kind of gross, make your skin crawl. Like there's nothing sexually explicit between the teacher and the, and the student. Um, but I think the movie intentionally puts sexually explicit situations in the movie to kind of like 
make you feel uncomfortable because it's about a kindergarten teacher and her relationship with a student. Mm. Um, even though there's no like sexually inappropriate um, situations between the two. Um, so it's, it just is a, it's a really unnerving experience. Um, but you know, when you're watching it, that somewhere out there, uh, this is something that could realistically and probably has happened before. Um, and mm. so it just kind of, it, it elicits a, a physical response for me to just like sit there and watch it. So you were deeply uncomfortable yes. watching this. Yes. And I think that's the point. Uh, and I think that um, they, they performed it very well as far as that's concerned. Mm. This is interesting to me because uh, my wife is a teacher and she tells me about how, you know, she has to treat her class objectively. There's certain things that she cannot do with any one particular student because it would perhaps show favoritism, preference of one student over another. And uh, teachers have to be mindful of those things. Some teachers have to even be careful about, you know, how they hug kids. You know, they have to give the side hugs yeah. to every kid <laughs> who, who runs up and wants a hug, you know, side hug, uh, just because that full frontal hug can sometimes be misconstrued if spoken about in a slightly different context by the kid can cause really bad things to happen for the teacher and possibly the family of the student. So um, that uh, sounds very uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Seven. I, yes. re I recommend that, that you watch it because I, part of me wants your wife to see it, but at the same time, like knowing her, I'm not sure that she would be able to stomach it. This does not sound like something yeah. she would want to watch. Right. So I recommend you maybe try it first and see, see how you feel. Maybe about it, but... I might, you know, I thought that the premise was just, you know, a teacher recognizes a prodigy yeah. in one of her kids and then helps him become a better kid or, or, um, you know, show the world his talents or something like that. But this sounds like, you know, I mean, Netflix has been doing all these kind of more experimental twists on mm -hmm. classical yeah. genres, so it sounds like something more like that. Mm -hmm. I yeah. yeah, I would agree that with that assessment. So and it, and it, if you decide to give it a try, it's it's a pretty short movie by today's standards. It's only an hour and thirty six minutes, um, so it's it doesn't take up a lot of your time. Okay, would you, so you recommend it? I recommend it to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't, don't know if I could because. I don't know anything with like that involves kids. I'm like extra sense. I feel like anyone's extra sensitive about, but it just makes it harder to like actually like sit through it. Right. Like I, yeah. Cause there's been like shows and stuff where like, it'll show like one thing with a kid that upsets me. I'm like, all right, I'm done. And then I'll just stop watching it. Well, and I understand that. And I think they understand that too, but yeah. I think that's kind of what makes it as compelling it's as like it is. It's kind of like the point. Yeah. Like you should feel uncomfortable right. watching it because it's not you. Sh no one should be doing that, right? Type of thing. Um. So yeah, I recommend it. Uh, well, it seems to be getting a lot of favorable reviews. Like no one's really trashing it for the most part. Hmm. Um. I so. want. I uh, want to point out. I was just looking up the kindergarten teacher, or I guess it's just called kindergarten teacher. But I came across a 2014 movie called The Kindergarten Teacher, directed by. Nadav Lapid, and this seems to be an Israeli version of this story. Okay. The, oh, okay. Plot, the plot synopsis reads, a teacher discovers in a five-year-old child a prodigious gift for poetry. Amazed and inspired by this young boy, she decides to protect his talent in spite of everyone. Mm -hmm. mm. That that would be 
accurate. So yeah. there is a two-hour 2014 version of this story that's, uh, I guess, Israeli so that mm. you can check out as well that's if cool. you want to. I wonder if that one, if that extra half hour makes it a little <laughs> bit better. Because like, it's not a bad movie, but I do still feel like there's there there should be more. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Interesting. Anyways, the kindergarten teacher. Uh, okay. Next, let's talk about uh, Venom. Yeah, let's talk about Venom. <laughs> so we know Venom as a character, but he hasn't really been portrayed on the screen a whole lot aside from Spider-Man 3, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, which and, is a movie that everybody loves, I He thought, doesn't right? have much of its own sentience in that film, no, as I recall. No, it just kind of seems more like, uh, I don't know, like... A mood-altering virus. Yes, mm-hmm. a virus, not the symbiote that we see in this movie. So... It, in this movie, we have a story completely dedicated to Venom. Spider-Man is not in this movie. And uh, this movie <laughs> makes very clear that it's in association with Marvel. So this is not an MCU movie, but it involves a Marvel character uh, called Venom. And so Tom Hardy is Eddie Brock, uh, our journalist, who uh, likes to delve deep into some controversial stories. Uh, so he goes around and he's trying to figure out more about this uh, science uh, experiment group. I forget their name and it's not showing me here on the plot synopsis, but he is doing all this investigative reporting. Uh, Riz Ahmed uh, is the head of this research corporation and they're doing experiments on these symbiotes that they found. Um, and lo and behold, these symbiotes get loose, they infect some people and they become infected and they change their mood and they kill people and it's, it's, it's bad. And the reason why most people react poorly to these symbiotes, um, and die is because, uh, you have to have the right combination of a host and a parasite. And, and so when you pair the perfect person with the symbiote that matches just the right way, then you can have a character like Venom. And that's what happens is Eddie Brock gets in contact with the symbiote. He doesn't die. He goes through this crazy mind and body altering stuff and it changes his personality and he goes crazy, but he doesn't die. And um, Venom and Eddie Brock can coexist to a certain point. Um, I went into this expecting it to be horrible, like awful. And it looked bad, like just from the start. I think everybody was shit talking this too. Like everybody was like, Venom looks horrible. I had fun with Venom. Venom's fun. What? It's fun. <laughs> it's really fun. Uh, not, I mean, it's not, it's by far from a perfect movie. But if you just want a dumb movie that recognizes its own dumbness, Venom oh, okay. is the perfect movie. That's what's great about this movie is lots of dumb movies pretend to be serious or pretend to be cool. Venom fully embraces its dumbness and that helps it because we get to sort of laugh with Eddie Brock and Venom and we also get to laugh at them because of how ridiculous they are. Uh, the villain is really over the top. He's just like almost to a goofy level like he has no reason to be as goofy as he is and tom hardy is really hard to believe as a journalist like (laughs) i was trying to think that i was like it just does not you don't believe him as a journalist but as soon as he gets the symbiote becomes infected um 
he sort of turns into this Jekyll and Hyde character where he'll be trying to live in normal situations where he's at dinner or something. And then all of a sudden he'll just jump up. And if he's at a restaurant in one scene and he just hops in the lobster tank and he starts eating lobsters out of the tank. That's like, that's how That's how crazy this movie is. <laughs> this movie is just like, if he's going to have these crazy urges to eat whatever's in sight, let's just, let's just have fun with it. Yeah. And so um, the action is uh, fairly cliche and, you know, nothing we haven't seen before, but it is fun if you just want to kind of turn off your brain and, and laugh both with and at, an, at a character. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's, it surprised me. Okay, so there's two things I want to add to that. Um, there was a, I believe it was a tweet, it might have just been a press release, um, that came out like two or three days before Venom released, and it was from Tom Hardy saying that there was about 40 minutes of uh, footage that they cut from Venom, that, that like his favorite 40 minutes of all of Venom <sighs> were not in the final movie. That really? sucks. Yeah. Um, wow. And so I guess I'm wondering like, what it is you think that might have been in the prototype that is not in the final product. Do you like have any inkling as to what that might be? You know, I could have gone on living the rest of my life, not even believing, not even thinking that that was a possibility because that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm guessing some of that could have been just more um, Eddie Brock going through the transformation of coexisting with Venom inside him. There could have been a little bit more of that, like how that develops. Uh, but as far as like glaring gaping holes, I, I don't really think, can think of a whole lot there. Um, but I'm glad it's not any longer than it is. Cause it's almost two hours. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think it's about an hour and 50 minutes or okay. something like that, which I think is a good length for like a superhero comic book movie. It's not really a superhero film, but yeah, comic book movie. Um, yeah, I, I'd be interested to see that footage just because it might be, you know, some fun stuff with Venom. Venom's like, you know, he's like um, cocky and sassy and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see that character pop out of Tom Hardy. And Tom Hardy is, he's kind of playing sort of a, a journalist who's kind of incredulous that these things are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has no control over them. So he's kind of horrified that he's doing all these things that Venom is making him do, but he's like, I can't control it. So it's just going to happen. Sorry, guys. Uh, uh, that's interesting, though. The other thing is that there is a, I've, I don't, I've never seen such a difference between an audience score and a critic score hmm. for a movie. Yeah, uh, I noticed that. Critics too. are putting this at 30, but the audience loves it at an 88%. Whoa, Whoa. 88. Yeah. That's wow. I think that's that's even higher than I would expect from the audience cuz usually the audience score for something like this would be higher mm-hmm. than the critic score, but wow, that that is quite the difference. Yeah. It's like a 50 point split. And based just on what you said, it it seems to even play off of how you feel about it. Like you expected to hate it, but Mm -hmm. here it is, you know. I think that that was part of why I liked it so much is I expected a movie kind of like Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, a movie that (laughs) I knew was going to be bad and was so bad that because it was boring and really didn't have any redeeming value for me, this was dumb like i expected but it was fun dumb it wasn't boring or bland dumb okay i've seen a lot of like cute little comics on twitter just about eddie and venom's relationship outside of fighting crime maybe yeah what do they even do do? (laughs) um 
I won't reveal too much. But, okay. Uh, <laughs> but there's a bad guy, a guy worse a, than him. So Riz Ahmed, the leader yeah. of the, I don't know if this is a spoiler. Who who cares? Riz Ahmed, <laughs> he, uh, he's trying to do bad things with symbiotes. Let's just say that. Oh, okay. Um, and so that's where this all falls into place. I might see it just because I really love Riz Ahmed mm-hmm. and I just want to see him. There is, <laughs> you know, going back to the 40 minutes of missing footage, there's a lot of weirdness with like Venom's intentions and like what his character is doing. Like not Eddie Brock, but just Venom. Um, you know, he seems to do like a 180 at, at one point where you're like, oh, he wants to do this now? Okay. So maybe I can kind of see where there might be some missing links. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, up next, let's talk about one that Haley's bringing to the table. Let's talk about a simple favor. I don't know anything about this movie. Yeah. So speaking of embracing the dumb, <laughs> oh. a simple favor does that really well, but like, Super intentionally, like the kind of like what you said that this movie isn't is like full aware of like what it is, and that's what makes it actually good. Like I saw the trailer and right away I was like, oh, this is just like a dumb movie. Like I don't, I don't really need to see this, but I kind of want to see it just because like I like Blake Lively and <laughs> she's cool, and so I just kind of randomly decided to go. But it was not what I expected. It, it's kind of like like film noir, but like a comedy, but also like dealing with like serious subjects. Like it's, it yeah, it, it, I'm trying to think of the best way to explain this. It's kind of like a parody, but less obvious than like something like Scary Movie and things like that. But it's fully aware of of how dumb it actually is. So basically uh, what what it's about is um, Anna Kendrick's character plays this mommy vlogger and she becomes friends with this other mom who's like, she, I think she's like a really successful PR consultant or something. And she's, she's like drinking gin in the middle of the day and she's very stylish and mysterious. And so they start hanging out and Anna Kendrick's character is kind of what you'd expect Anna Kendrick to be in a movie just kind of like goofy and awkward and you know there for the ride essentially mm-hmm. um but then uh Blake Lively's character goes missing and so she teams up with um Blake's what is her name Emily Blake's character's name is Emily so she teams up with her husband to like try to find her because there's like no answers and yeah, yeah, it takes it takes you on a few like twists and turns. Um, but what's kind of funny about this movie was like there were cuz you're kind of trying to come up with in your mind like, "Oh, well, how is this going to end?" And you think of something like ridiculous and you're like, "Nah, nah. That's no. That's not going to happen." And then it happened. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I mean, they made that work somehow." But um, yeah, it actually wasn't bad. It was it was really fun to watch in a theater, just because I think everyone in the audience was having a good time and laughing at you know the dumb stuff that <laughs> happens throughout this movie. And um, yeah, it was it was definitely more interesting than I thought it would be. So I'd recommend it if you're like kind of bummed out <laughs> and you want to a, a few laughs or something, but. Okay, pretty good. 
Did you see that one too? Uh, I did. And I actually agree with everything you said. Um, I would just add that like Anna Kendrick uh, being like kind of a prude uh, mixed with uh, Blake Lively being this like really vulgar businesswoman is very fun to watch. Like their, their dynamic is something that you kind of see throughout a lot of the first half of the movie. And that's just like so fun. Like it's great. Like it doesn't seem like it would work on paper, but it is very fun to just see Anna Kendrick, like seeing Blake Lively's character just go, Oh fuck. And then yeah. it's just like, Oh, oops. Swear jar. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it's a very interesting ride. It's, it's um, I did not really, I wasn't trying to predict the ending, but I can mm-hmm. see how you would think, Oh, maybe it's this, but ah, it won't happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it okay. is, um, it is actually, very grounded at the beginning and then by the end is crazy like <laughs> crazy it's like a farce by the end yeah. so it, it's it goes to very interesting weird places like a lot of the movies that we've been talking about today <laughs> all right well up next let's talk about the movie minding the gap uh another movie i don't know anything about so uh Bo, take it away uh minding the gap is one of my favorite movies of the year so far it is i Highly recommend it. This is a documentary. So, Haley, you watch lots of documentaries. Yeah. You'd like this. Um, so, this is about... So, um, this mainly centers on three friends. Uh, let me get their names. Uh, Bing, uh, Kier, and Zach. And they are three... Uh, they, I think they're in their mid to late 20s. And they grew up skateboarding together. They've known each other for years, many years. Um, and Bing is the uh, director of this film. For many years, okay. he was there. Uh, he would film their skateboarding sessions. So he grew up with cameras, knows a lot about cinematography, videography. And he decided to make this documentary using a bunch of archival footage from them growing up and then contemporary interviews with his friends. Most of the film is him actually following his friends around and uh, talking to their families and talking to them. And it is an examination of how they all have broken upbringings and they all had challenges growing up. And he shows how their childhoods have shaped them into who they are. And so this covers a lot of ground. They talk about like sexual abuse. They talk about problems with, um, you know, uh, strained relationships with parents Um and how their stories interweave, um, trying to find jobs uh, when not really having a lot of professional skills, um, challenges of, of growing up in a financially struggling neighborhood, all these things. And um, it is, uh, it's, there's a lot of abuse and grief that's covered. Um, it's heartbreaking, um, but there's also this through line of like this desire to be accepted into a family that the movie ex- that, uh, examines as well. Um, so it, what's really fascinating is um, being Lou is the director, you know, he is potentially sacrificing his, some of his friendships, his relationships to deep dive into a lot of these topics. I mean, he's asking his friends and their family members Um, very intimate questions and it is really bold for a filmmaker to do that especially with people he knows so well Um, I liked it a lot it's a short watch it's only about an hour and a half Um, I'm interested to hear what 
audience scores are for this. Have you looked this up? Yeah, I have this up right now. Uh, it's a, it's at a perfect 100 from critics. Oh, wow. And a 98 Whoa. from audience. Yeah. It is really good. This is on Hulu. If, oh, you, have, if you have Hulu. Um, it's a, it's, it's great. Another one of those movies where it's kind of a downer, but it's also so well done. Cinematography is great. Um, you kind of get to see how Bing's skills as a filmmaker grew over the years because you see a lot of the footage of them skateboarding when he was younger and then he gets better and better cameras and gets more skilled as a filmmaker. And now he's at the point where he's following these people around and it, 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 it's, he's using professional setups for these interviews. So it's interesting to see in that regard as well. Um, it's it's great. I'm gonna watch it. Very powerful. <laughs> yeah. I might too. Yeah, by far my favorite documentary of the year so far. Well, sweet. Um, so again, that's available on Hulu. Uh, for anyone who has that, uh, check it out. Uh, up next, I would like to talk about Private Life, which is a movie that I saw. Um, I believe it's another Netflix original. Um, if it isn't already painfully obvious, I haven't uh been able to afford to go to the movies lately <laughs> um so i've been staying in a lot uh but this is a movie that stars paul giamatti uh and um emily cat hold on okay this is a movie that stars paul giamatti and katherine hahn uh in the main roles and they are a a couple that have been together for 20 plus years they're they're a middle-aged couple and they're trying to conceive uh, or adopt a child. Basically, they're just trying to get a kid uh, through through any means that they possibly can. So they're signed up with this profile where you put you a picture of the couple on on a social media type page and you know have a summary, and you wait for uh, teens or people who have unwanted pregnancies to contact you and say, hey. I don't want my child, you know, you look like a good match for who I want my child to end up with kind of a thing. Um, they're also going through a, a local adoption agency, um, trying to get approved for that. And, and one of the first scenes in the whole movie is about a home visit that the adoption agency is doing to, to um, take a look at their home and potentially approve them for an adoption. And they are also also going through medical treatments to try and conceive naturally um but they're middle-aged so it gets harder and harder as you get older uh some people just can't conceive anyway through whatever reason so uh Catherine Hahn's character is going through these like hormone treatments so she has like a painful shot in her hip every day and Paul Giamatti's character has to get a small surgery to clear a blockage you know that prevents sperm from uh, being released so they're doing whatever they can to to get a child in their life at in their mid to late 40s um, and then the the whole point of the movie comes when their niece uh, is is dropping out of school potentially temporarily um, and they live in the same town as as their niece where she's going to college so she comes to live with them uh, while she is temporarily, air quotes, out of school. Um, and because of all of their complications trying to get a child, they start looking at egg donors. And um, they go through the usual channels, but they it, it's, it's not working out. And so 
they ask their niece to potentially be an egg donor. And so now this niece is, is going through um, some of the same hormone treatments that Catherine Hahn's character is going through to potentially um, donate her eggs to her aunt and uncle. And it causes, you know, family drama with uh, the niece's family. And it, it's a very complicated situation. Um, and it's, it's nice to see, for me personally, it's nice to see a lot of, like, conception complications um, all in one film because it's something that I've been struggling with for the last few years trying to find a way to have a child um, when we can't so uh, it's it's good to see it on screen however it's it's unrelatable in the sense that they seem to have all this money to throw at um, some of these potential resolutions that you most of which don't pan out um, so it's not really relatable in that sense and I still uh, don't really know how to get a child when you're, you know, below lower middle class. <laughs> so um, in that sense, it's unrelatable. But it, my wife and I sat down and we watched it and we expected it to be heart-wrenching. But because a lot of those situations can't really apply to us, it didn't really hit home like I was hoping. Mm. Um, but it's still a good movie to watch. And... Uh, Especially if you like movies that have a lot of family tension and strange family dynamics, mm. it's, that would be a good movie. All right. Well, I love Paul Giamatti. I'll yeah. watch anything he's in, even yeah. if it's bad. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry it wasn't as relatable. I I would I would <laughs> hope that, but uh, yeah, still am very interested to watch it. Yeah. I wonder Check if it out. there's ever been a film because, like, most of the <laughs> movies and shows I've watched that address that issue, they're always well-off people who can mm -hmm. who just like throw their money at like any solution that's available. And you're like, but <laughs> right, <laughs> is there anything else? Well, like, and then there's a couple lines where they throw around like how much they're spending on mm -hmm. some of these medical treatments, but they also mention how Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn's character are artists and they're struggling and they're in a rent controlled apartment too so i'm like what these worlds don't really yeah. like match up in my head yeah, yeah. Um, but i also don't live in new york so <laughs> what do i know anyway what is new york <laughs> <laughs> um and i i have to wonder because this is the second time i've seen katherine hahn in a role where she's specifically getting shots for fertility purposes and so i wonder if maybe like something outside of her her role as an actress um maybe draws her to that maybe she has had her own mm -hmm. um you know fertility complications i haven't looked into it at all what, but, was, the, what was the other role oh it was this movie with jason bateman and oh she played bad moms no the dictator <laughs> uh it's like stepbrothers no we're the millers no anchorman jason bateman wasn't in we're the millers <laughs> <laughs> I'm just naming all of Catherine Hahn's filmography that I know is not the movie. Oh gosh, Tomorrowland. It's, it's like this is where I leave you. Or Hotel some, Transylvania like Three. That. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about, but I haven't seen it. <sighs> God, what the fuck is the name of that? Captain movie? Fantastic. <laughs> no. Oh, oh Secret Life of Walter Mitty. <laughs> I love that movie. Jason Bateman's in it. Bad uh, words. Ozark. Uh, no. <laughs> That's not a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Arrested Development. Obviously, we're cutting this part out. 
The last Why? Mimsy? That's got to be it's got to be the last Mimsy. Where the hell is that? I've named movie? half of Katherine Hahn's filmography. Where are the Millers, The Visit, Revolutionary Road, The Holiday, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, This is Where I Leave You, Flower. This is Where I Leave You. That's what I thought it was. Uh, yes, okay. it's This is Where I Leave You. All right. Okay, so that movie um, oh, I have heard of that. Okay, yeah. yeah. I've seen it around. <laughs> I've seen it around the web. Huh. God. <laughs> no one says that. <laughs> That's got an interesting cast. Jason Bateman, Tina Fey, Adam Driver, Rose Byrne, Corey Stahl, who was in First Man yes, as, he was. as Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. Catherine Hahn, uh, Timi- Timothy Oliphant, Dax Shepard, Jane Fonda. Huh. Yeah, it's wow. an it's an okay movie. <laughs> It's 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 a little bit of a, a little bit of a bro movie, but it's not bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not bad. Cool. Uh okay, we're gonna talk about one more before we get into our feature film. Let's talk about the invitation. Get spooky for for October. I've been watching uh, so many scary movies lately and it's destroying me. <laughs> that's the spirit. You gotta do that. I, yeah, like if you're not wanting halloween to be over by the time it's halloween you're not doing it right in my opinion (laughs) but uh i saw the invitation i think it's on netflix if i remember correctly and it's one of those movies i just low-key avoided not just because it was going to be scary but because it just didn't seem that appealing to me like it just kind of looked like this kind of crappy indie horror movie but um then uh, i gave it a chance one night and it yeah, so basically it's about um, this guy, Will, and his new girlfriend, Kira, um, are going to like their friend's fancy dinner party. And right away you learn that um, the dinner party they're going to is his ex-wife's. Oh. So right away you're like, why the hell would you want to go to that? Like, it's your ex-wife. <laughs> like, I'm so confused. And apparently it's at like their old house that they lived at together and everything. So I'm like already i'm like what (laughs) like (laughs) why the hell would anyone do that and uh so it it gets your attention like right off the bat because they don't give all the details of like his relationship with um his ex-wife and his all the friends that are there and things like that so it's things that kind of like unfold uh the longer you get into the movie and you just find out more about the whole dynamic of the situation which is bizarre um but so like it doesn't really sound like a scary movie at first you're just kind of like oh it's just like a weird situation right and then um basically it plays off um his paranoia will's paranoia Mm. of like um basically his ex-wife's i don't know if it's her new husband or just her boyfriend i can't remember but like her partner and he's just like he's very paranoid that they have gathered everyone there for some sinister purpose and everyone's telling him you're just you know you need to calm down like you're the one freaking everyone out type of thing and so throughout the whole movie you really don't know like what's true and what isn't and like if you know his feelings are valid or if he's just kind of overreacting like you really don't know how to feel until the end of the movie and then you're like okay yeah okay (laughs) sure which like Ooh, yeah, that end, man, it's um, not, part of me expected it, and part of me, there were a lot of things that I was like, no, like, I watched it, <laughs> I watched it with my boyfriend, and <laughs> he and I, just like, 
especially at the end, we're like, no, <laughs> like screaming at the TV type of thing. <laughs> Just because you're it, you really don't expect a lot that that happens, and you think um, something will be over, and then it's not type mm-hmm. of thing, um, which I hate and love at the same time in a movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just one of those interesting kind of more psychological type horror movies, like not straight up scary, um, at first, but then you just, yeah, it really messes with you. <laughs> so next time in, I'm invited to like a weird ass dinner party, um, oh. I'm probably not going to go. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to invite you, but never mind. <laughs> I, I don't know. I love the invitation. Love the invitation. If you're looking for a horror movie for Halloween and you don't want like a monster movie, yeah. If you don't great. want oh. like possessions, yeah. If you don't want possessions devils? or supernatural oh, stuff, yeah. Now we're talking yes. my language yeah. here. I love psychological horror. Like, Me too. I think that's my favorite kind, and this is definitely that. There's yeah, it's all about paranoia, and the whole time that's relatable. The right. Whole time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's why I like it because it's something that could actually kind of happen if you're in the right mindset. But uh, the whole time, something is off. Like something yeah. is, something feels off. And then it gets weirder and weirder and crazier and crazier. And the last shot of this movie, <gasps> the last, I know, the last, the freaking last shot of this movie, I would, my jaw just dropped right. to the floor. So it's one of those where, and there know, it's was, just good up until the end. There's a part, not so much towards the end of the movie, that kind of um, points to that end shot. And the whole the whole rest of the movie, I was like, why was that? What was that? Like, I don't yes. get it. And then they what show the that? end shot, and you're like, oh. That. So everything like ties in really well together. Like, there's no like loose ends or anything. Someone watch got a little it. extra sleep today. <laughs> Someone might stay up late after his wife's asleep and watch so this tonight. Good. It's so good. <laughs> good luck watching it at night by yourself. I don't. Well, I mean, care. I guess it's not that bad. If I was watching a demon movie, I'd be like. Mm, Mm. nope it's got to be the daytime i need to be with people actually i do spend like an hour after i go to bed just sitting there being paranoid about stuff so maybe i shouldn't well before bed i mean it's up to you (laughs) or maybe it could be like a release you know like true i don't think that an adrenaline release cathartic you know i i think it stacks i think it's paranoia (laughs) stacked (laughs) <laughs> works in tandem that's how i think of it too because i'm like oh i'm gonna watch this movie and then i'm gonna be like a braver person <laughs> and i'm not 90 percent of the time I, i'm more scared after all right up next we're gonna talk about our featured film that is a star is born featuring bradley cooper and lady gaga um not i don't <laughs> think that's her first movie but maybe her first starring role i think first major I, starring role yeah what other movie was she in? I don't know, but I, I know feel she was like in I've... American Horror Story. But that's... she was in um, the second Sin City movie. Oh. She was in the Muppets uh, most oh. most wanted movie. Um, she was in. There was a documentary earlier. Oh my gosh, her documentary is so good. BT Five Foot Two. Yes, that one. Yeah, that one obviously because it's a documentary about yeah. her. And then some minor roles in different oh, weird things. Machete Kills. That. Shut up. (laughs) You know that Danny Trejo character? She was in that, I guess. (laughs) Well, well, well. I have not seen that, so I can't speak for the quality of that film. That is my most favorite trailer to just like sit there and think about and just be like, why? (laughs) 
<laughs> is one of the machete movies. And machete is in this movie, A Star is Born. Oh, yeah? Yeah. When? What? He's not. No, he's know. not. Oh, kidding. my Why? God. I was like trying to think. I'm like, what? The machete cinematic universe. Yes. <laughs> he was the drummer. Didn't yes. you notice? Get out of here. <laughs> um, so this is the story. Well, which, uh, how about how about one of you gives the synopsis? So I actually watched a video that compared all of the past versions of this movie with this one. If you want me to just yeah do, go do into that. It. fire away, okay? Because none of us have seen the other movies. There are three other movies. Three other movies. No, I have not. Okay, okay, I haven't either. <laughs> I was not about to do that because that's just like too much of my time. But uh, so there were three other movies. There was one in the 1930s, uh, one in the 50s with Judy Garland, and then one in the 80s? 70s 70s with Barbara Streisand, and now this one with Lady Gaga. But um, basically, they all have the same bones. So basically, all of these movies start with um, a woman who um is not making it in the industry and then they meet super famous dude they fall in love uh he basically helps her get a start in her career and surpasses him and that's kind of what the the movie is about um just kind of like the dynamic of their relationship while she's kind of going through this transition of going from, you know, being a regular person to a huge, you know, sensational star and just how their relationship works within that, especially since he's been in that realm for like years by this point. Um, so they all kind of cover that and they all have the same ending, which like, obviously I won't say now. Um, but what's different is the 1930s one was actually, um, like becoming a Hollywood star. So nothing to do with music. It was not a musical. Okay. Um, it was like, you know, Oscar based. And then the next one after that was Judy Garland, um, which was like more popular than this first version, just because Judy Garland was like, at this point, she was struggling to find work herself. And this was like kind of her big comeback. So this movie like really gained a lot of popularity. Hers was about becoming a movie musical sensation. So that one was like super specific. Like I want to be, you know, Debbie Reynolds and singing in the rain. That was like kind of what it was going off of. And then Barbara Streisand's was when um, they kind of switched gears and went with the whole like rock and roll Grammy winning type uh, situation. Um, and I think that was just to change with the times. Like, mm -hmm movie musicals are not as big nowadays as you would oh, guess no. as uh, in the 50s. Uh, so they switched gears there. And then um, for Lady Gaga's version, Bradley Cooper's version, he directed it, whatever. <laughs> I'm giving all the credit to Gaga. Um, uh, they kind of stayed with those same roots. But um, what I based off what I read, um, the first one is the most underrated one people seem to agree with, like the very first one. And Barbara Streisand seems to be the worst. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like that out of what I've read, um, it was the most poorly reviewed one. <sighs> yeah, that seems oh. to be the case. Here. Yeah. And they also had a lot of just like production issues and like Barbara, I mean, more power to her, but she, I guess she was super demanding um during everything. Mm. Uh, which in the end I think kind of helped that movie apparently, just based off what I've been told about it. But um, yeah, so this one, 
This one is more, uh, I don't know how to describe it. You can tell something I really admire about Bradley Cooper is um, just kind of his ethics when it comes to directing. Because, like, sometimes you you hear of these um, directors like Stanley Kubrick, for example, since we mentioned him earlier, <laughs> um, who... Like in The Shining, like it's known that he treated a lot of the actors like complete shit to like try to get them to that certain space they needed to be in. Whereas like Bradley yeah. Cooper's very like, we're making a fun, trusting <laughs> environment and we're all great type of thing. <laughs> and that kind of like, and I think that's a huge reason that um, this movie is so good, like to me, because you can tell like it has like pure intentions, whereas the other ones were just kind of like, we're going to, you know, make money off of this sequel and we're going to make it modern age. This is very much like they really made it their own, even though it's been done three other times. So, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of the the basis of it. And casting uh, Lady Gaga in this role is really wise because you need someone who can sing well. And she's someone who is a performer, like a visual performer. She's mm-hmm. obviously very comfortable um, filling that role as an actress. And I think that she embodies the title really well. I mean, she's honestly a born-again star as an actress, and I think she does a fantastic job in this movie. Um, Definitely acts on the level of Bradley Cooper and maybe even above him. Um, And I could definitely see her being like nominated for Best Actress. I really hope she is, because I want her to get, oh, what is it, an EGOT? Which is like oh, yeah. Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Like she's doing that. Mm-hmm. She's on her way. I guess she's gonna star in a Broadway musical uh pretty soon that Barbara Streisand starred in. Also. Oh. So they're kind of following that uh oh. you're the new Barbara <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> but yeah, Gaga needs an EGOT. She should write a wow. song called EGOT. Do it. Um Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was really good. Um I think that the movie really did a great job of portraying um, some mental illness too. Mm. Um, really just kind of showing you not only how it affects yourself, but the people around you and also how sometimes uh, you really can't always control it. Um, and just all the, the shame that can go along with that. Um, and, and I thought that was portrayed really well. Um, and I felt like the music was really good. I felt like the musicians seemed real. Uh, and it, maybe that's because there's a lot of, uh, musicians here in Lincoln that kind of look (laughs) like the musicians in A Star Is Born. Like if if you're, uh, if you go to any of the local music shows, you kind of like, (laughs) <laughs> visually see some of these characters um and so maybe that helped helped it make it feel real well something because i i watched a bunch of interviews before this just because i'm like i don't really know like how this was made very much um bradley cooper apparently they went to like actual like sold out concerts like rock concerts and they stole the stage for like four to eight minutes and like filmed <laughs> like all the songs they do in that movie they did live interesting so every take is different like every take sounds completely different from the other. And so it's all like very raw and very real. And like, he was not messing around. Like he really wanted this to be like as authentic as humanly possible. 
Wow. It's very yeah. interesting that they took that approach because mm -hmm. when they're at the concerts, you see the big crowd and they have to establish that with the wide shot. And, you know, you see all the crowd and they're very lively, obviously. Um, but then when they really get to the meat of what the scenes are about, a lot of what they do is focused on the actors' faces. A lot mm -hmm. of it is very close in. I, I thought that was a very intimate way of portraying their relationship. Like he, it's almost like we're really, we're really kind of pushing the audience aside for a lot of those moments when they're on stage, like the part with the shallow, mm -hmm. we, we see the crowd and everything. And when he, as soon as he ushers her on stage, you know, it's really just about those two people in that room. Yeah. And I think that was like a big point because something he talked about was just wanting to portray what that transition is like, like going from, not really being exposed to that sort of life at all to all of a sudden like overnight being just thrown in it which is usually what happens like uh -huh. with you know quote-unquote stars like they're just kind of like all of a sudden like where did this person come from now they're super famous what's going on and um yeah i think it was cool that it was basically like you could feel the adrenaline of like the show like that first one that they sing together that first night or whatever um but then, you know, when they're looking at each other, you f are able to like kind of feel like that calm at the same time. So I thought I just thought he did such a good job. Like yeah. I was so <laughs> impressed. And I'm usually not like, you know, super like, oh, my God, what great direction. But like this one, I mean, when you're starring in it and you're directing it, like you can just see like how much effort mm -hmm. and blood, sweat, and tears like he put into this movie. And yeah, this I'm is like, his directorial it. debut. Yeah. It's the first mm -hmm. film directed. And so I'm going to be interested to see if he continues to focus on performance or if he wants to switch to directing more or do both like he did in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I thought the directing was super strong too. I think pretty much everything that involves human interaction in this movie is really mm -hmm. good. Like how, how um, he and her interact um, it just feels so grounded and believable, especially Genu it's genuine. genuine. Yeah. yeah, especially the first half when they're kind of discovering each other and she's just learning what this world is all about. I think that the first half was stronger for me. Yeah, um, but I agree. The, the second half is kind of like a different sort of movie. What's interesting, though, is it's kind of a commentary on what the entertainment industry does to people mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. you know it it kind of transforms you it can transform you in a way that is uncontrollable and it and it does comment on that and um shows the effects of that and it kind of exacerbates problems that he has too you know right. that you mentioned so right and and i saw a movie we talked about it once already on the show um called the clapper and it kind of touches on what you know, fame can do to people and how it's really out of your control. And it's good, uh, I think, to see that from the other side where you see how fame is really a burden. Um, yeah. And and I think that A Star is Born uh, showed that really well in ways that normies like us don't necessarily <laughs> think about. Like, I know that Bo and I are pretty popular on the ISM machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All of our fans, but... Um, so yeah, I always enjoy seeing all the different ways um, that just having fame hanging around your neck can really uh, change your life and your relationships and uh, how you treat people. Mm -hmm. And also it shows how you really just need like, 
That was kind of funny. There's a video on Twitter where Lady Gaga says the same thing, like in all of her interviews that she does. And it's just like on repeat. And it's really funny. <laughs> but she basically says, <laughs> you should watch it. I recommend it. It's it's hilarious. Um, she basically says, like, you only need like that one person to believe in you to like help your dream come true. Because she talks about like, like right off the bat when they meet, like, I've met with all these producers and labels and they all say I'm too ugly to be a star and like I have a good voice but I'm not a star like it's never going to happen for me and she just kind of like accepted that I guess in the movie she's like 31 years old Mm -hmm. like when she starts so like obviously like producers are picking like as a musician myself like producers try to pick you up when you're a teenager Mm -hmm. so they can like mold you into what they think you need to be and if they're if they're like, oh, your teeth aren't straight enough, blah, 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 they're either going to invest in you and pay to fix it, or they're just going to toss you aside and be like, all right, well, bye, it's not happening for you. Huh. Um, but, oh, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, no. Give me a second. Oh, no. I totally forgot I was going with that. Well, I, I think that um, the way that he enters a relationship with her, it, that that you know when he starts saying like hey i just wanted to take another look at you <laughs> that that is extra charming when yeah. you when you take that what she said about what producers have said to her into context you yeah know, the, the, i'm not i don't have the look for music mm-hmm. you know and that's just a tragedy that you know music should that shouldn't matter when it comes mm-hmm. to making music that's what i was saying the whole like having someone believe in you thing um he saw her for who she really was, mm-hmm. which was a songwriter. And that's something that Bradley Cooper talks about, like, because people ask, keep asking him, so what is this movie about? And he's like, it's not just a girl who wants to be a star. It's a songwriter who is singing other people's songs and how sad that is. And I was like, oh, fuck. I was yeah. like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Damn, Bradley, that hit me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I don't know. It's just, um, I just loved how they kind of really drove in that point that like um, if it wasn't for him really pushing her and like totally like completely believing in her ability, like she wouldn't have become like the star she ends up being Mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. Well, and I think to touch on what both of you said, um, uh, Stanley, sorry, Bradley (laughs) Cooper's character, um, Bradley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick. Yes. <laughs> That's Stanley right. Cooper or Bradley Kubrick. Like. That's where I was going with that. Um, Jack. I think um, Jack himself as a character was like uh, extra grounded too because like he he as a per- as a character sees, you know, uh, Allie for who she is and, and, you know, he's someone that sells out shows and can afford to fly Allie. Mm-hmm on a private jet from one state to another. So obviously like he has lines that he knows he can use that will work and can sleep around or do whatever yeah. it is that your typical musician does. But instead he's, he's really um, turning on the charm, but not uh, being assertive in, mm-hmm. in the, in the way that you expect rock stars to be assertive uh, when courting Ali. And I think that helps to, um, you know, keep him in a likable space. Yeah. Even though the movie then becomes about how fame and jealousy and all these things can uh, cause a lot of harm. 
Yeah, there's a lot uh, to the conflict. I mean, there, jealousy is there. Um, it's not there to the extent that I expected, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. I thought I, I went in thinking like, oh, he's going to, they're going to kind of trade places as far as where they stand on the tier of stardom. Um, and he's going to get jealous about that. And there's a little bit of jealousy in there, but a lot of it, like you said, has to do with um, substance abuse, mental health. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to the conflicts of this story. It's not just one thing. And his whole thing is like, like he says straight from the beginning, like, oh, you have something to say. His is all like, oh, well, what do you have to say? Like, people want to listen. And then she she becomes like this, you know, kind of like pop star who's singing about, you know, shaking asses and things like that. I know. That, and he's like, really? So that's what you want to tell the world. And he gets like really judgy, mm-hmm. which like part of it is frustrating. Well, like it's definitely frustrating to watch but at the same time, you kind of understand where he's coming from just because, you know, I guess I think for him, he he thought that uh, he just wants her to be the way he wants, like yeah. artist wise. Yeah. Whereas she's mm-hmm. more open about it and like, well, this is art, too. It's just different and it's more mainstream. And yeah, I'm talking about, you know, a hot guy's ass. But, uh, you know, that's what I wanted to talk about that day Yeah, <laughs> type of thing. It, I think it's actually one of the songs that she's singing. I remember one of the pop songs that she's singing when she's kind of like not being true to who he wants her to be or mm-hmm. maybe who she wants herself to be as well. Her lyrics are something like, that's not me or or like, I'm I'm not me. It is, it's like kind of tongue in cheek, like this is commentary on what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. She's not being true to herself. And I, I forget the, the, how the lyrics go, but I can tell that that was a very conscious choice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and Lady Gaga, she wrote all the music for this film also. Wow. So she wrote three albums this year. Guys, just so you (laughs) know. Yeah. So uh, more reason to uh, have her have an EGOT, but, uh. (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely noticed that too. And uh-huh. like just I don't know, just how like how artistry affects your fame and just how you have to like make certain sacrifices if you want to get to a certain level. Like he talks about like oh, well, I'm getting old now and no one wants to, you know, see my stuff anymore and he's not willing to change in a way whereas she's like way more flexible because like this is her dream and she's not gonna like give it up and I, and looking at like lady gaga's career like hers personally she kind of did the same thing which like she talks about in her that documentary on netflix about her which is super super good five foot two or whatever it's called um she talks about how like in the beginning she did come out with a bunch of dumb pop songs that she didn't particularly like but she knew if she did that and basically like quote unquote like did her time, eventually she'd be able to make like an album that she really genuinely like put her soul into. And she talks about, um, you know, she's known for like wearing like the meat dress and all this like weird stuff. And people yeah. are like, oh, she's just trying to be a freak. And she was like, no, that was my way of kind of protesting against the idea of my producers telling me I need to look a certain way. Because I'm like, oh, you want me to look that way? I'm going to do the weirdest shit imaginable. (laughs) Like, try to tell me now. And I'm like, I had no idea. Like, I don't know. I think there's a lot of, like, similarities between her character and her in real life, for sure. Um, And that was definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. 
I love Lady Gaga, if you couldn't tell. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, she gives an incredible performance. Yeah, yeah, historically speaking, I'm not a fan of the music, but mm-hmm. um, I I recognized during this movie that she is, in fact, a good singer and, and that those songs, she has a powerful voice, you know, just on, on its own. And mm-hmm. um, I recognized that during this movie. Yeah. You know, I um, realized a, a lot of their interactions in the beginning kind of show how how well they communicate with each other and and actually some of the times where they best communicate are at the start and by the end you know she's not really being true to herself Mm -hmm. and he's so drunk and and troubled that the things that he's telling her she can't trust so actually over the course of the film like they they unlearn how to communicate with each (laughs) other it's very hard to watch that Mm -hmm. um kind of disassemble and crumble yeah all right well uh there's i don't think there's a lot of meat to cover in spoiler territory but we are going to move into spoiler territory now uh so for those of you who have not seen a star is born and do not want to be spoiled uh now would be your time could it really be that simple the secret lies with charlotte open the pod bay doors hell I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Aren't you asking us to accept a pretty incredible coincidence? I'm just saying a coincidence is possible. And I say it's not possible. Where are those keys, Rose? You know I can't give you the keys, right, babe? Silent breathe these people! Greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, he's gone. So, spoilers. Where do we even where do we even begin? He kills himself. <laughs> the end. That's cinema round table. Boom, and that also happens in all the other versions. Really? He's also an wow. alcoholic in all the other versions. Okay, wow. I forgot yeah. to mention that. Some of the differences that you were telling me about the other versions were interesting because I was expecting there to be that jealousy factor and mm-hmm. you were kind of talking about how maybe some of the other adaptations were focused more on that yeah like definitely i think it was the one with not barbara streisand judy garland where um a lot of it was mega jealousy based and also like just sexist like how because they get married in each version too Mm -hmm. that's a big thing um and so it kind of shows like the dynamic of a marriage back in that time because like i guess in one of the scenes like a postman delivers a letter to jack's I think his name is Jack in the old ones. I, I'm not positive. Whatever his character was. And they call him by the last name of his wife and not his last name because mm. that's who everyone knows. And that was kind of like the catalyst of when things get like really out of control. So it's just like stuff like that. And that's kind of different. And this one, he has. they have that scene where she's in the tub. You remember that? And mm-hmm. he calls her dumb or he calls her song dumb. Yeah. Calls her, yeah, and yeah. And he calls her ugly. Calls her ugly. Which right. like is exactly what like the producers and everything were saying exactly so he knows that that'll cut the deepest yeah because well he and that's something i found interesting in this movie too was like um kind of they don't explicitly say it but he was like emotionally abusive to her like Mm -hmm. as time went on and as she was getting more popular and his alcoholism was like at its absolute worst and it's like i don't know it's kind of it's just the whole like mental health thing. Like he has an addiction, like he's sick, 
but he's like hurting everyone he cares about like either way so it's just like i don't know i there's a there's a scene where she's getting a photo shoot done when she starts to get really famous and then all of a sudden she's been nominated for a grammy yeah it it all seems to happen all at once yeah that's what's what kind of captures the magic of becoming famous is because it like it all feels like a whirlwind and that's what this movie feels like is all these things happen Mm -hmm. at once or very close to each other and you're not sure how much time is passing and then um at the grammys she wins yeah the grammy and she is giving her acceptance speech and then he makes things very awkward by crawling up (laughs) to the stairs and i got very nervous at that part as soon as i saw him sitting down there i was like oh no someone please it's just <laughs> escort sad. him to the backstage or back to his seat or something and yeah so that i thought that scene might not have been as realistic as it would be but still very effective in in kind of communicating just visually where they both are yeah. like, oh in, yeah in their lives yeah and just how oh, it's just that watching that whole part just kind of broke my heart because I'm like, can you imagine like the most pivotal moment of your life and then this person who you love so much like just totally like humiliates you in front of everyone? I know. Like, how do you even like handle that situation? I think they acted that out like very well, <laughs> like just very realistically because she was just trying to laugh it off like, oh, yeah, oh, you're being funny, you're drunk. To being like, oh my god, we need to get off the stage right now. Like, yeah. I can't believe this is happening. Uh, and oh, and then what, what was really powerful for me was a lot of other movies would then show a montage of a bunch of like um, celebrity news outlets yeah. talking about this mm-hmm. and like showing the footage over and over and you know all the tabloids and stuff. This movie didn't do that. It mm-hmm. mo- it's continued to focus on their relationship with each other, even when they were kind of fighting. And there's that scene where he t- is deeply apologetic about what happened, and he and she says something like "doesn't matter," or like yeah. she just brushes it off to the side. Mm-hmm. And by that point, I had kind of pushed it aside, and then he reminded me of that moment. I was like, "Oh no, there's that that happened as well." And she just goes, "No, it's fine." Yeah, you know. And I thought that that really showed how deeply she wanted to fix things mm-hmm. and really showed how powerful her character was. I, I would say that that was probably my favorite scene of the whole movie mm-hmm. was that exchange at the, at the rehabilitation facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I felt like that was really strong. Yeah. Something I noted was kind of like the whole like theme is that they never want to give up on each other. And I think like when he kills himself, a lot of people think that's him giving up on her, but that's really, him i think he realized like because basically like her is it her assistant her manager her producer yeah yeah, her manager slash producer guy tells him like you're single-handedly destroying her career Mm -hmm. yeah and if you stay together she's going to be a nobody because no one will respect her that she's still with you after you did that to her and just that whole scene like there's like it's just him like thinking and like kind of doing things and you like totally know what's going to happen like i felt it in the pit of my stomach i was like no 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 like the whole time because i haven't seen the other version so i had no idea what was gonna Mm -hmm. happen and you just kind of realize like oh he's doing this because he can't imagine a life without her like he can't imagine breaking up with her 
but he also doesn't want to like ruin her career. So mm-hmm. he thinks that's like his only option. And with her, like she couldn't imagine it either. And that's why she, you know, still with him after all the bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I, I read that, that all happening as the producer was kind of like a catalyst for his suicide. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? I mean, it seems like that's what you got from it too. I mean, yes, obviously, but you, it's also really easy to say that suicide's never the answer regardless so yeah that's the thing because there's that scene at the end with his brother i think his name's bobby yeah some whatever that guy is the guy with the giant Sam white Elliot? mustache it's bobby yes <laughs> yeah. my father-in-law yeah <laughs> where yes bobby, um sam elliott's Al- character Allie yep. is like on the ground crying and he's there too and he's like it's not your fault it's not my fault it's jack's fault mm-hmm. you know it's no one else's fault even the producer even though he said some shitty things, he said some realistic things. Like, if they stayed together, she her career probably wouldn't exist anymore because, mm-hmm. you know, people just, I don't think people in the industry would respect her as much, even though she did win, like, a right. Grammy and all this stuff. Well, um, and then one of the other really strong scenes was when they were just lying there in bed and she was lying to him, basically, about canceling the tour, yeah. even though he knew. Yeah. Um, and, and I think in that moment he realized that she doesn't care if her career is ruined. Yeah. And she, she doesn't like she, I think in her mind, she's like, well, it's, you know, us forever type Mm -hmm. thing, no matter what happens. And it's like, you know, I think it's one of those situations where like she had a dream, but her dream kind of changed to include him, like no matter what, Mm -hmm. which like is true love. But at the same time, it's sad. It's yeah. sad. <laughs> and then he he's already been through stardom yeah. and he knows what a what someone who is a star needs and mm-hmm. I think he kind of sees like yeah, I can't I can't help her be that person, mm-hmm. you know, it's which is a tragedy that he sees it that way. Mm-hmm. I think mean, that's just how it is and I think that a lot of how he thinks about who she should be is informed by the star that he was and what he went through. Yeah. And just how they like depicted that whole like leading up to him like committing suicide because they don't show it no but they show him you know feeding the dog like what a steak and he's just like you can just see in his face he's so defeated and he's so set on what he's gonna do and Mm -hmm. it's like everyone in that theater knew what was about to happen yeah and the fact that he was able to like show that like bradley cooper was able to show that Mm -hmm. just by those simple tasks like kind of amazed me like and i was oh my gosh i was crying in this movie <laughs> i cried so much in this movie and that last song that yeah. lady gaga did i don't know if you guys know this but so the day she went to shoot that um she had just visited um like one of her best friends who's dying of cancer mm. and she knew that was like their last meeting like her friend was going to die and she was never going to see her again and bradley cooper said you know, oh, let's, you know, reschedule the shoot. Like, you don't have to do this today. Like, just, you know, take your time and heal. Stanley Kubrick probably wouldn't have done that because <laughs> Bradley yeah. Cooper's a good director. But um, <laughs> but Lady Gaga was like, no, I need to do this. And so that scene that we see, that song that she sings at the very end was the very first take. Wow. Yeah, that Bradley decided to use because she was, you know, she was basically saying goodbye to her friend through that song. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so I think that's part of the reason it was like mega powerful and emotional. 
and I want to see it again so I can cry more. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first scene where they actually give her a last name. They call her yes. Allie Maine. Um, Bradley Cooper's character's last name is Maine. Um, and for the rest of the movie, I believe she doesn't have a last name. She's just Allie. She's which, just Allie. Um, and when she becomes a star, I think it's kind of like a share thing or, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. where it's just a, you know, mono, mono name. But um, I don't know. I would have liked to maybe, it would have just been a little gesture to give her her own last name or at least speak it out loud. She, her character probably had a last name mm-hmm. um, before Bradley Cooper came into the picture. Um, it just kind of seemed like she was you know, waiting to be a full person with a first and last name before yeah. he came along. And that's a lot of what the story's about, but I wish she could have uh, been able to be like her own person mm-hmm. a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. Um, to, to go back to the suicide scene a little bit, um, there's one line, maybe two or three scenes before that at the rehab facility where he's telling the rehab director about a time that, he had attempted suicide before mm. um, and he, how he hung himself from the ceiling fan and it broke and stayed in the middle of the room for months. I totally yes. forgot about that. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm wondering, I kind of, when I got to the end of the movie, I kind of wished that that line hadn't been there. Interesting. Mm. And I'm wondering if you guys feel like uh, that piece of exposition is necessary, uh, net neutral or if it the movie is better for being there because I won- it's like self-referential. I wonder if it wasn't there and they thought maybe this is too much of a stretch mm-hmm. to have him do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a touchy subject because, you know, I've, um, you know, I, I've known um, suicidal people who have recurring thoughts, you know, and so maybe it was trying to just give us insight into that give him insight into um, what his life has been perhaps before Ali entered into it as well. So that Mm -hmm. we see this realm of possibility that can happen with him. So I, I don't know that it was necessary for me, but I can see them wanting to, to make that jump to suicide, to, to kind of help bridge that Mm -hmm. having Mm -hmm. that little piece there i don't know what do you think i i felt like when i got to the end i felt like that that was like a little like piece of candy that they gave me it was like here's a treat you know made it too easy Mm. in a way okay like i didn't i don't it it, it felt like it was making it easy on purpose without that fan story Mm. i don't think it would have been too big of a jump to go there yeah you know i agree Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think one of i mean because I honestly forgot he even said that by mm-hmm. the time they got to that scene. Yeah, but, I was not even thinking of that. But at that, yeah. thinking about it again, I remember being glad that they had that part in the movie just because a lot of what this movie is about is kind of what we said before, like mental health and how it coincides with fame and things like that. I think it was a really good depiction of like, someone who has been suicidal in the past who still struggles with it and just like very like explicitly because I mean not a lot of people are going to say that out loud like oh yeah I plan to do this you know specific suicide thing and so I thought that was kind of like empowering for anyone who has maybe struggled with that sort of thing like oh like he said that like for real (laughs) like you I feel like you don't really hear the details of suicide very often Mm -hmm. Yeah. So shows us another side of it yeah. besides what we see. Yeah. 
Um, I, I do, I did appreciate that, um, the movie just didn't end with a suicide. Like there's still a good 20 minutes left where we get mm-hmm. to have that scene with Sam Elliott's character, you know, where he sort of processes things with her and she has the final song and she's thinking back to their times they had together. And, mm-hmm. you know, you get the sense that he's still going to live on with her. And I guess that's maybe the symbolism behind making sure to name her Allie Maine at the end, mm-hmm. you know, that, that he's still very much a part of her heart as she goes on. But I, I liked a lot of the development that happened after that. Um, and the, even just the last shot of her looking into the camera, very powerful too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just how, I mean, what, what I found interesting too was like, cause it's like, how is she going to exist without him type of thing? Cause this whole movie has just been them, mm-hmm. you know, both of them, it's all about them. And now he's completely gone. Like, you know, how do you move on from that type of thing? And so I felt like. The rest of the movie was like <laughs> kind of healing for people watching too. Like, cause you're just like, well, now what? Like, damn. Yeah. Like, you don't just move on from that. And then she ends with that amazing song. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all good. Well, it's not all good in the end. It's just like, I feel less, you know, awful. There's a, there's a little, there's a little closure. Yeah. There's a little closure. Yeah. But that song's so good. That whole soundtrack. I've been listening to it so much. <laughs> it's really good. And we, we mentioned the shallow, but I think that my favorite scene is the shallow. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's really powerful. I'm, we got, we almost got to see it twice. We saw like the first. So what happened was I went and saw it with Stefan and the power went out. Oh in the yeah. Middle of the movie. Oh no. And it, and it happened right as she was going on stage. No. But if it had happened like three minutes later, we, they, what they did is when the power came back, they rewinded the movie a little bit so that okay. people ca- who left to go to the bathroom had time to come back. If the power had gone out just after the shallow, we would have gotten to see it again. But so I wish it had played out like that. <laughs> but um, but that getting to see that scene again, the build up to having her go out on stage, um, perform that song is just like it's so good. I I uh, got goosebumps and I was like kind of yeah. tearing up at that part. It's really powerful. Yeah, because it's kind of rare that, like, a song really makes me, like, have goosebumps nowadays. Like, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, song blip. <laughs> but, this, but this one, it's a song blip. But this one, oh, my God. Well, this song, and there was another one that he sings, that he kind of sings in that drag bar oh, when they're yeah. just hanging out. And he Maybe sings it a Maybe it's time to let times. the old ways die. Though. Yes. Yeah. That's I'm like, a good one. damn, that's a freaking that's a good song. Great man. soundtrack. Um I, I did think it was kind of silly. Of course, it's a movie, so the way that they perform the song so perfectly has, oh, you yeah. know, just has to happen that way. Yeah. But I thought it was so funny how the first time they're on stage in front of thousands of people and they're singing the shallow, like they both know to sing like in the shallow. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's I like about that right away. Fucking bullshit. I was in choir. I was only in choir for two years, but I know that shit's not happening. <laughs> you guys did like, not get that on key first try. And he's like, Yeah, I came up with some uh, instrumentation. So yeah. here we go. We're okay. See. Yeah, right. It would not be that perfect, even with rehearsal. I thought the same I thing because yeah. I was like, I play guitar and there's no freaking <laughs> way I'd be able to pull that out of my ass in yeah. like two hours. But, like, shut up. You know, minor annoyance. Right. Yeah. 
it's still an awesome song. Kick ass. Also, shout out to the drag queens that were in this movie. They were really they're fun. from RuPaul's Drag Race. If oh, you don't really? watch that, yes, it was William, that's his name, and uh, Shangela are the names. So the blonde one and, um, oh, I don't remember the other one. Well, they're they're both from RuPaul. The two main drag queens that keep popping up. Yeah, they actually they ration those characters out really well where we see them in that opening scene mm-hmm. where we meet her for the first time and then it's not until much later that uh, i don't know if she's like facetiming she's them like or skyping or facetiming yeah. or something and they're like hi and you're like oh yeah these characters from her past life exist that's right and it just like shows how far you can go but she's not leaving those people out of yeah. her life too mm-hmm. which is cool like kind of a testament to how she wants to stay true to right. where she comes from and I always wonder about that anyways with celebrities. Like I how, do too, how, yeah. how much so do they talk yeah. to their old friends and like how can you even get away with talking to your old friends yeah. anyway? Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, Oh yeah, you have like a family with like cousins and stuff. <laughs> like it'd be cool if I could be like, Lady Gaga's my cousin, by the way. Yeah, like <laughs> I would milk that so much. <laughs> One day. That's awesome. <laughs> one, one, day, day. I'll be, one day I'll be related to a celebrity. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie's great. I liked it a lot. Oh, yeah. I put it as my favorite movie of 2018. Wow. My top 10. Based on how you were talking about it. Yeah, I'm pretty of, passionate. I'm glad we could talk about this movie because it seems like we've done a lot of like superhero movies and yeah. stuff yeah so this uh is in my top 10 for 2018 so far yeah, i think it's at like number seven or something but yeah it's, definitely up there it's too yeah. early to tell for me um in general i don't tend to like music movies yeah, yeah. um mm-hmm. so we'll see but. i think for me it's my number one because i do music and so it's just like it kind of i don't know a lot of those things obviously i'm not like super famous or anything <laughs> but like having in the past having to have dealt with like people in the industry and how like frustrating it is and just how yeah it's kind of a mystery how anyone can stay true like in that Mm -hmm. realm so i think yeah i think bradley cooper did such a good job of like portraying that world i could see him being nominated for best director i could see lots of nominations and i have to wonder like how much experience he has with music on his own anyway that's something um i actually listened to uh during one of their interviews because he said he didn't know practically anything about the music industry and so that's why he got lady gaga not only for her like crazy amazing voice but because she's been through it all like her she's been in the business for years and years and she's kind of been through each aspect of it and so Hmm. she was able to like i guess something they like agreed on like day one was she was going to treat him as a musician and he was going to treat her as an actress, even gotcha. though they're both from like different worlds. That's cool. And so, yeah, I think that's a big reason why this movie worked the way it did mm-hmm. was because they had that going in. My mom was watching a video about the making of this, like some behind the scenes stuff. And in an interview she watched, she told me that um, when Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga were first meeting about this project, she invited him over to her house and they're both Italian. So they were kind of bonding over the Italian foods that they eat and customs and stuff. And they apparently ate leftover spaghetti from her fridge. That was that was the meal they shared. Beautiful. Nice. Lady and the tramp. Oh my God. Whoa. Lady Lady and 
Lady Bradley Gaga Cooper. and the Bradley Cooper and Tramp. And the Cooper mm. Tramp. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. Um, all right. Any other any other thoughts? To sh- well, here, hold on. We we reference KZUM a lot, and Bo and I have a show on KZUM. Um, this is the perfect opportunity to uh, sort of plug some of your music if you want. Yeah. Haley, like, how can people oh. see your work? Okay, SoundCloud. Well, I'm trying to think what would be the Facebook.com slash H Kruger Music. I think is what it is. So it's H Kruger, like Freddy Kruger, <laughs> spelled the same. <laughs> music, and you can find all of my, uh, you know, my Instagram, my YouTube, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And occasionally, I perform in town. I've been slacking on it majorly, but uh, like Crescent Moon open mics, Meadowlark open mics, like I do those semi often. And I and I've seen a lot of your YouTube videos, and you put a lot of production value in those too. Thanks. Yeah, yeah so. it's uh, since I started working, I'm trying to incorporate it again, but I've not. <laughs> it's a, a lot goes into it, but yeah, yeah, still, still making music, still writing songs. Awesome, awesome. All right, well, that about does it for this episode of Cinema Roundtable uh, on A Star Is Born. Uh, be sure to join us next month when we talk about the movie Widows. Until then, everyone, we'll see you at the movies. This episode was recorded in the studios of KZUM 89.3 FM in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find out more about KZUM and listen to more episodes of Cinema Roundtable by visiting kzum.org. Our theme music was composed by Joshua Spaulding. 